0: Welcome to the podcast. I'm Zach Rhodes, and I'm joined by my friend and mentor and colleague and co-host, Dr. Stanton Peel. Stanton, how are you this morning?
1: Wonderful. Good to see you, Zach.
0: And you too. Let me close our introduction here. Dr. Peel and I represent the Life Process Program, or LPP, which is an online coaching program helping people overcome addiction um, in an empirically sound, commonsensical, and judgment-free way, in a convenient way, because... People can do this program in the context of their own home. If you want to learn more about our program, the Life Process Program or LPP, you can visit lifeprocessprogram.com. Stanton, I want to wish you a happy new year and in the spirit of the new year and being aware that people are primed by all sorts of cues to recenter themselves, um, to either set new goals or revisit unfulfilled goals, I want to do a segment about goal setting So we're going to discuss three ways you can think about setting goals, coming up with and sticking to a goal, of course, is not all or nothing. And people have all manner of ways of deriving these goals. They can do it more or less consciously and thoughtfully. And perhaps the urgency of coming up with one and sticking to one can seem more or less to a person. Sometimes people are basically content with their lives, but they know they would eventually like to change and they're comfortable exploring their options for a while some people want to make changes right away and it's often the case that when we're talking about addictions that people want to set and live their goals quickly like it's an existential emergency which is understandable um but it doesn't always have to be the case which brings me to my first topic your uncle stanton um uncle ozzy and you've repeated the story uh, about your uncle ozzy and how he quit smoking countless times for good reason. It's certainly stuck with me. And the way I see it, his story is an example of how life purpose and, um, let's say, existential clarity usurps hedonic pleasures that lead to addiction or addictions themselves. So I wonder if you could give, because um, I'm going to leave something out that's important. So I wonder if you could tell the the potted version of your Uncle Ozzy's story so that we can respond to it.
1: Well, I never tire of talking about my Uncle Ozzy. Um, I don't I tire was, of hearing it. <laughs> I was away at graduate school, and I came back from my grandfather's funeral, uh, the grandfather whose coat I am wearing in my on the cover of my memoir. Hmm. And um, when I saw Ozzy outside of the synagogue, I said, Ozzy, you're not smoking. Didn't you, you used to smoke? And Ozzy launched into, if not a well-rehearsed, a familiar refrain, oh, I smoked four packs of non-filtered cigarettes for 25 years from the time I was 18 until I was 42, which happened to be in the early 60s, just before the Surgeon General's report. And I said, "Uh, what made you quit, Ozzy? And he told this story that he used to have lunch at a bar. He didn't have a drinking thing. And the lunch was free. And he went in and they had just raised the price of cigarettes to 35 cents. And Ozzy dutifully put in a quarter and a couple of nickels and a pack of cigarettes was spit out. And the coworker said, look at Ozzy, he's a sucker for the tobacco companies. And Ozzy said, you're right, I'm gonna quit smoking. And the woman said, oh, can I have that pack of cigarettes? And Ozzy said, no. I'm not going to waste 35 cents. (laughs) And he smoked that pack and he never smoked another cigarette. He was 42. Um, Every time I saw Ozzy over the decades, I would ask him about it. And the last time I saw him was his 90th birthday party in California. And I said, Ozzy, remember when you quit smoking? And Ozzy said, did I used to smoke? And... When I tell the story, I always say, there's something you need to know about my Uncle Ozzie, or why did Ozzie quit? And people say he's a cheapskate. Okay. But uh, I said, there's something you need to know about my Uncle Ozzie. He was an extreme union activist. He went to fight for every employee that the company, he worked for General Electric, the company leaned on. And as a result, they punished him by sending him into the worst neighborhoods in Philadelphia. Although the guy who fixes your television is always a welcome personality. So (laughs) Ozzy was a friendly guy. So people would say, we're going to leave somebody out here with your car, you know, with your van, just to make sure while you're fixing the television. So then I asked, why did Uncle Ozzy quit smoking? And hopefully people come to the reason because it dawned on him due to the immediate input from this woman but slowly evolving over a quarter of a century that it violated the most important part of himself who he was and who he wanted to be and so it was you might say an an, an instantaneous existential realization or you might say it was a development through his adult life. I mean, he was a father with two children mm. of who he really was and who he really wanted to be.
0: So, interesting because from my perspective, he had every reason to quit smoking. And from what I know, I know a little bit of backstory. Um, he could have been harming the children in his household. He could have been damaging his own health. And not to mention, he probably had this visceral sense, like you're saying, that smoking was getting in the way of other ways he could have been engaging in life healthily. But um, I love this story because as bamboozled as you or I could get about why Ozzy didn't quit earlier, for a thousand different better reasons than maybe he came up with, were not him. He stopped smoking when it got clear to him that smoking interfered with something sacred in his life. It put a stain on his sense of self. And that's not exactly a strategy for everyone for setting a goal and sticking to it, but It's encouragement because it's a baseline. I think we can tell people that um, even if they've thought about kicking a bad habit or beginning a better one a trillion times and haven't accomplished it, it doesn't mean they won't Um, because if there's purpose in life and if that purpose is contradicted by a habit, perhaps an addiction, and you could articulate that for yourself, then motivation could become high. It's existential, as you said, and it no longer becomes a problem that you have to think about you just kind of take care of it i mean would you do you have a different spin on that or do you think that's about right
1: no i'm um i'm going to go with you and i'm going to ask you how you feel about applying this and encouraging people to have this moment
0: um do you think ozzy would have said he was addicted to smoking cigarettes before this thing happened
1: That's a funny, I, I, over the years, I explored that with him. On the one hand, he would claim that he had never thought about quitting smoking before Mm -hmm. that moment. On the other hand, when he described smoking, he would say he was fixing TVs by a bench. It was the filthiest habit. Um, I had a cigarette lit constantly by my work table. At night, I couldn't wash the yellow tobacco stains from my hands.
0: So the there's memory no of that habit, he he could he could say, okay, now I get that that was an addictive, like crummy habit, but in the moment, he wouldn't have ever said that.
1: I think you're right. That's I, that's a good way of
0: putting it. Yes, but people come to our program. I can't think of an example otherwise. When they have decided for themselves, there's something going on that's like I am doing a thing and it's not sustainable. So in a way, I think that, I mean, maybe if somebody's listening at home and trying to decide this for themselves, do I have, is there something that's getting in the way of my life that I'm doing on repeat? Um, You know, that, that idea, the fact that you, somebody is aware that there's something that's conflicting with their lives, I think is the beginning of one of those moments that Uncle Ozzy had. And then it just takes, it's just a matter of Okay, Can I get some clarity here about what do I want in life and how is this thing interfering with it?
1: In other words, a regular feature used to be uh, every New Year's a publication, Psychology Today or New York Times would say, you know how to change your habits, you know how to drink less or quit drinking or quit smoking or lose weight. I think now there has been a shift in the direction that you're describing, which is people are now more oriented towards having an existential refocus. Yeah. And what Uncle Ozzy presaged was what has become, I think a more general cultural realization that people, you know, changing this or that habit. Well, that's nice, but really people have to make peace with who they are in the universe. You
0: we're suggesting that people can have existential ways of thinking about things. And when that, that comes to fruition, when that enters into consciousness, not just, not just imagination or subconscious, then we could say, um, well, it's obvious that I need to make a shift. So it's not like you have to, um uh, it's not so mechanical. It's like, it's almost like a feeling you get that says, God, this can't go on. And then sometimes when you feel God, this just can't go on or God, I, this is more important. People just do it. And so the, I guess the advice would be, if people are coming to that realization on their own already, how do you nurture that and push it forward? It almost sounds contradictory, but it would be not to overthink it. There's the the way of addiction psychology, let's see, like mainstream addiction psychology, or if you go to a rehab center, people are going to get you to focus in um, on your bad habit uh, associated with the story that there's this habit, this addiction is a profound, cunning, baffling kind of a thing that you don't just escape. You're going to have to really think it through. So we're suggesting a mindset that says, if you think something in your life is important and it's values driven and something else is getting in the way of it, what's stopping you from going after what you think your best values are?
1: And what we're doing in this situation is rather than inputting to them, we're kind of throwing it back on them and expressing, if not amazement, chagrin or where they're conscious. It's sort of like, oh, I'm just puzzled. You know, you love your child, you love your health, you love being in control of yourself, but you're doing this thing just explain it to me I'm not gonna I'm not gonna tell you that you're screwed up or what the hell are you doing right it's, I'm just sitting here it's your life
0: right then a lot of times people will say articulably for the first time what they believe maybe they're maybe they hadn't believed it until they spoke it maybe I, I don't know and then they get a reflection back this is like the life process program. This is what coaching would look like or what maybe therapy would look like and some other uh, successful therapy. Somebody reflects it back to you. So you're telling me you believe this and this, and you've already done this and this, and you think you'd like to this and this. And it's like, yeah, man, that, that, that is what I'm saying. I mean, you can walk away from that conversation, feeling pretty inspired and motivated to do something. But, um, I think sometimes, and this is why I have, I kind of have an array of topics here and I'm going to jump to another one. And sometimes people don't have a clear purpose. Certainly I've talked to people. um, Well, I don't mean to sound pejorative or, or biased, or, but, but I've talked to people who are, who make up what is you could consider a significant underclass in America. And so people who are really down in their luck, let's just say that. And, um, some of these have been where, my where, students.
1: Do you where do you encounter people like that?
0: Well, I talk to a lot of people. It's a, everywhere, first of all. Some of them are my students. Some of them, you know, I'll play music. And you and I are not alike in some ways, and you and I are, are alike in some ways. I'm actually kind of introverted. But I'm super energized by conversations with interesting people. And I happen to find people interesting that other people ignore. For instance, when I was playing a show recently... Um, I played at the famous Nectars in Burlington, Vermont. And uh, in Burlington, there's been a growing problem of homelessness, just like in other cities in America. And I frequent um, the sidewalks where people are sitting because often they'll sit right outside of this pizza place that I go to. I have a weird routine. I go to a pizza place right before I go and play the show. And I'll sit down with them and talk to them because I find that stupid I've never encountered uh, an ornery... Person who's homeless in the cold outside of that pizza place, which is interesting. So anyway, um, I kind of, I kind of talk to people like that all the time because they're
1: pressed or challenged by people who seem to be in a hopeless situation.
0: No, well, no, I'm not personally challenged, but I do, I understand the challenge. Like the more conversations I have with people who self-describe themselves in a a hopeless seeming situation, the more I understand that it can sound lofty or ivory towery to talk about your uncle Oscar and say, that's the way you're going to change. Because some people don't have a clear purpose. And maybe that's why, you know, if somebody's listening to this, maybe that's what they're looking for. Maybe that's like their basis for generating the goal in the first place is to try to figure out what a purpose could be. So, you know, what are other ways to set goals that don't require being clotheslined by an existential conflict? Uh, maybe smaller, more practical goals. And I have an interesting story for that. There's there's a guy named, God, I can't remember his name. Why can't I? It's, I wrote an outline and I don't have it up, but, oh, uh, uh, James Clear wrote a book called Atomic Habits. Now this is just one of those like pop psychology books that you pulled from different branches of psychological research. And he wrote this book about how to build a lifestyle that you want by starting small, doing things, doing kind of minimal goals or breaking your goal into manageable steps and just showing up. That was one of his big through lines is just practice showing up and showing up means not jumping into the deep end right away. It means you get to start small. So uh, if you, for instance, I think one of his examples is maybe you want to get really fit and maybe getting fit means that you want to go to the gym seven days a week, I don't know, whatever, three days a week. But sometimes, why do people start going to the gym a few days a week and then say, God, this is too much. And then they stop never to go to the gym again. One of the reasons is because they haven't even practiced doing that routine. They haven't practiced living and experiencing what it's like to be the kind of person who goes to the gym three days a week, if you know what I mean. So like his, his James Clear's advice for something like that would be just go there and set, let yourself call it a success. If you make it to the gym and you stand there for five minutes, even if you don't do anything, I mean, maybe you need Maybe that's too awkward, but maybe you need to like have some sort of a routine, but like don't even go whole hog workout yet because first you're just practicing the kind of person who shows up to the gym. You can, because what you'll find is that you'll make it there and then you will have forgotten your shoes because, you know, because you aren't used to having to change into gym shoes or you'll find that in the morning that it's takes a lot of time to get your water that you might need or whatever else, or you know what I mean? So it's like practicing just the routine. And uh, if you can do that, you'll see yourself as a person who gets ready for and shows up to the gym. You're kind of building in the routine. And most likely when you start small like that, you will naturally do more than only showing up. So actually, if you kind of are aware that going to the gym is something that would make you healthier, or if or maybe someone's told you that, you don't even have to have the, the idea of, I want to lose this much weight, or I want to be able to lift this much weight. You kind of know what would be healthy for you to show up there, but you practice it, and you naturally do more than only showing up. You start, People are, tend to just kind of push it to the limits that they can push it. Does that make sense? Do you know what I mean so far?
1: So it's that's the habitual approach, the gradual inculcation approach.
0: Yeah, it is. And it's like, people are, I, I think a lot of people who uh, join our program, for instance, this is what I meant about kind of the urgency of of habits before, or, or wanting to set goals that I mentioned before. People come to our program and say, you know, I don't think that something like harm reduction is for me, or I don't think that um, I can just say, I, I want to immediately build the lifestyle that I want. And There's nothing wrong with that. I wouldn't, as a practitioner or a clinician, I wouldn't say, well, you can't do that. But I might ask people to explore, okay, that's what you want to do. What's tomorrow look like? You know, what does that thing look like? And uh, when it gets, when I ask the questions about, can you think of any hurdles that that could get in the way? And a lot of things come up, I might ask, Have you thought about just trying to go through the routine? And I think I've told you this story before, just to put it kind of concretely. There was a woman who was an LPP client who followed this. uh, She came up with it on her own, but she kind of followed this gradual descent away from the bad habit and um, building a new life on her own. She used to make this huge breakfast in the morning before work And then she would stop at, uh, I think it was, I think she was in I would always say Dunkin' Donuts, but I think it was like Tim Hortons or something. And she would get this coffee because she felt like she needed coffee. But then she was always sort of felt compelled to get more breakfast stuff, like breakfast sandwiches. And then she would go to work where she sat at her desk job and then came home after, you know, sitting around stagnant all day and then come home and then eat again and then go to bed. And she was very overweight and wanted to make a change. And the first change that she made was not really to make a change. It was like, I'm going to eat only something, whatever it was, so some some really healthy thing at home. I'm still going to stop at Tim Hortons. I'm not going to like try to drive by it or avoid it, but I'm going to get, I'm just going to go through the motion and still get, but just a coffee, and then I'm going to show up to this gym and then I'm gonna to go to work so she just pulled in the parking lot and after a while she felt silly just pulling in the parking lot even though that but even though she was calling it a success because this was her new routine so she started thinking about the time that she would have spent making all this breakfast in the morning. she started getting her stuff together and so she went in and she started walking on the elliptical or treadmill or something and then she found, Well, actually, having uh, having this stopping and getting this coffee actually makes it harder for me to run. So she just skipped the Tim Hortons thing altogether, kind of like Uncle Ozzie. She's like, this thing's getting in the way, so why do it? So now she makes this healthy breakfast in the morning, gets her stuff ready, goes to the gym, and is pounding on a you know liter of water. And then she goes in and is walking on the elliptical. And then she finds, I wish I could walk longer. I should get started earlier. (laughs) <laughs> so she does the whole thing. She works out for a longer period of time, goes to work. And then oftentimes she feels like, I kind of want to walk again. So she would start going on walks with her colleagues. And anyway, the end result of that is that she's developed over time, gradually, not having to think too radically about changing her life. But actually, when she looks back on, look back on the previous year, she could say, my life is totally, my whole schedule is totally different. The things I think about and my perspective and what matters to me is totally different. It's not just about food and and um, trying not to focus on what's in front of me or what my life is like. It's more like very conscious thinking about my health. And she lost 100 pounds. I, she probably has lost more than that by now. Um, so that's
1: so- uh, <clears> the... <throat> habitual change approach writ large so you believe in that and you've seen that
0: I believe in it I believe the people can do it and the reason I tie this into um, people in hopelessness and despair is that I believe in that and I've seen that too nobody um, nobody's story I wanted to just for the sake of preserving their integrity or 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 um anonymity or, and anonymity yeah thank you <laughs> I don't know that I'd want to tell any specific story, but um, like I've had students who feel like I've got nowhere to go from here and have encouraged them to do something. I mean, so small that it obviously, if they just decided they want to do it each day or the next day, they will do it. I mean, but enough that it's a change, they would take some effort minimal effort to, to make the change. And it's funny, that principle that people might naturally do more than only showing up uh, seems to apply in that situation too. So that's so that my is, pitch. for
1: That's going from small to large.
0: A, a lot of times people will just naturally do more than the thing they've set out to do. Sometimes if not, at least you're falling back on you've gone in a positive direction. You've made effort And it's kind of like tricking yourself to decide that you matter. Or at least, I might say, realizing that you matter more than maybe you thought you did.
1: But you also believe in going from large to small, don't you? Um, All of a sudden, a person has been moving along, and they just reconceptualize who they are and what's possible for them. Mm -hmm. And then they do something miraculous that nobody least of all they thought they could do it's almost it's a eureka moment which Ozzy somewhat claims about himself of just reconceiving themselves <laughs> on the spot
0: yeah so I mean am like small I'm like an example of, of walking a billboard for big to small I, I put myself out there a lot and try new things if I'm interested in it and it's almost like I have to take on the personality of this person I'm not like being a musician was insane at the time that I started trying to become a musician. Like I went from nobody knew that I could play or sing to I'm playing in front of all these people. And I have to take on this personality of someone who entertains people and does music. That's insane, but I did it and I probably screwed up in a million ways. Actually, I have a recording of my first ever performance and it's so embarrassing, but um, along the way I developed (laughs) habits and a way of of doing things that have been really beneficial so I think you were trying to make me look good by by transitioning here's my third and last um and by no means final in in any general sense but last for today way of thinking about how to set goals and that's taking on the traits of the people that you admire most I, I think you have something to say about this, but I, I'm going to go back to when I was teaching high school students. First, by the way, when I, if people don't know, I, I taught some high school courses and I had this class full of people who were not succeeding in normal schooling. And I was supposed to teach them basic things like rote, math, social studies out of a book and things like that. And what I noticed is these people's heads were on the desk. And if I asked them questions about themselves, they would say like that. Hardly, I I was amazed that they would get to school in the morning because of the things that they had going on in their lives and their circumstances. So I stripped down, I decided to junk everything I was doing. And I just taught this civics course, which was basically how to set goals, how to be a person you admire. And one of the questions I would ask them is, who is a person who you admire? And then they would tell me, sometimes they'd write it down. Sometimes they'd tell me verbally. And then I would ask them about what are the qualities or the traits of that person that make them admirable. And so they would list some traits. Then I would strap strip that down to, do you have these qualities? Would you like to possess these qualities or what would it look like for you to act on these kinds of qualities or traits? How could you practice acting this way in your own life? An example might be, um, LaMelo Ball is an NBA player, a young NBA player. And he used to play, just pick up basketball on the courts next to his house. Not that he wasn't phenomenal in you know high school and beyond. He was, and he played in leagues. But he got to start playing just in the backyard. And one of the things he said that he did is he would take think about Michael Jordan or Kobe Bryant and think about, well, they're the greatest. I'd like to be the greatest. And also, you don't have to think about like, It could have been anything other than basketball, but in his case, it was basketball. What do they do? Well, they knew that Kobe Bryant and Michael Jordan both show up to the gym hours before their teammates, and they stay in the gym and practice hours after their teammates. So he thought, well, this could be adapted. I could do this in my own life and started putting in the extra work.
1: So in a way, you tricked people who sort of didn't have any idealized self into thinking about their idealized self. Mm, yeah. third party, like who do you admire? What are they like? Do you ever dream of being like them? What's that involved?
0: Kids do this with dramatic play. Kids have more of a permission slip by culture to do dramatic play, but they do this all the time. It's like they watch Spider-Man and then they play out Spider-Man and then they act like the character that, who they admire and they try on different personalities and then start being like them. My daughter Hadley is doing this right now. She's 40 years old and she's doing all this dramatic play and trying on different personalities. And she tries it in formal play and then sometimes is playing informally with us around the house. And we have to kind of help her decide the, the kind of person that she wants to be. And I think people I think that's a healthy thing for adults to do, too. Try on different things, different personalities that, in a way, or try different traits that you admire and practice them. And, right, like you said, it's thinking through a third party. If you're, if you're down on yourself, well, I don't have any meaning or reason for existing or waking up today. You might actually. And if I, when I ask people the question about who do you admire and I ask them why they admire them, what I found, near, I would say 100% of the time, is that they already possess some of those traits. And so when they learn that they already sort of possess those traits, but they could practice them, they could sharpen those skills, that they realize, oh, I matter sort of like this person I admire matters. And that's, that's a way of thinking about and setting a goal if you feel like you have nowhere to go.
1: Isn't that the, pro? didn't you go through a process somewhat like that? I mean, that you had a bad period of uh, a heroin monkey. You had a really bad event. And then you came into a job working with children and I guess going in, you didn't think, oh, thank God we're in my good skill area. You just went to work and you liked it and you were good at it. Wasn't something you were sitting around thinking about. And then the boss of the place called you over and you had had a few negative work experiences. You thought, "Uh oh, this is it. And the guy said to you, "Uh, you think you could work here full time? It was sort of like somebody snuck up on you and said, you know, you're good here. Let's go with it.
0: Yeah. I bet, like, in my personal life, I, it took me years to <clears> believe that other people thought that I was had these skills or I was good at something. So yeah, I was. I guess I was sort of down on myself. Like, what a good am I anyway? And um, so that was. I guess I I walked into a situation where someone could really use my skills. So like, I not only do I need. They're not trying to convince. They have no reason to convince me that I'm skilled. They could easily just fire a person that they don't like. They're like, we kind of need you. This is uh, the quality that I think a, a lot of our staff don't have. And I think that's the case for people who, have, if they can imagine it, people have skills. People have a reason why they're needed or they're valued or they are valuable um, in society. And, and those lie dormant a lot of the time.
1: And you, when you interact with people like that, you find that you're like a reflecting light like somebody was for you saying you know you do this well i kind of admire how do you do that almost
0: yeah i'm always that and i don't know if that came that would have come naturally if i didn't go through my experience or if it's just something i've developed but i'm always looking for that and i'm always honest i'm always being sincere about it when i see a skill that somebody has that i think man that's potential I'm so interested in it and I'm especially interested when people can't see it. And so that's, um, I don't know. I don't know if this that counts as a way of setting a goal, but I think it does. Setting a goal, uh, you kind of back into it by saying that you're a person who's worth improving.
1: So I would say that the three elements that jump out about this to me are one, you're not the doer in the other person's change. You're the reflector. Mm -hmm. Two, it's all about self-efficacy, about the person coming to realize that they're in charge. And three, they're coming to appreciate their own value and skills that they already possess, Uh, even if that might have been pretty submerged lately or that they've forgotten it. So those three elements, they're kind of the opposite of the, oh, here, why don't you take step one and then you'll take step two? They're about fostering existential change about how the person is in their own view and in their relationship to the world.
0: Perfectly said. And so we had three basic ways of I guess so. It's three ways of thinking about setting goals. It's it maybe not not uh, radio ready, but one on one hand, we first started talking about your uncle Ozzie, and I guess our our moral of that story is: Hey, good news. Sometimes people just have an existential awareness that allows them to make change, which seems like it's happening instantaneously. Or if you look back in your life, maybe you think you're actually taking advantage of the fact that you've been these ideas to. The idea to change has been percolating for a long time. Um, but if that sounds too rosy or, or unrealistic, there is the really practical thinking through type of goal of let's start small and build from there. And you might be surprised at how quickly you build, like your hab- your small habit will compound over time. And then yeah, lastly, we're talking about a way of deciding that you are even a person who was worth it to set goals for. And you can do that by, you don't have to uh, be convinced that you're a person worth doing that for. You could think about it through a third party, through like an archetype. Do you admire people in the world? Almost everybody would say yes. And um, who is that person you admire? What are their traits? Do you have traits like that? Or could you build on those traits and skills in your own life? So you're right. That's almost the opposite of starting small.
1: Is a way of a helper helping an individual combine these elements in whatever way works best for them to change who they are as opposed to the helper saying oh here's our platform or module boom change this way
0: right and so in line with that in this talk we're not saying do this and you'll get that but we're saying hey you can explore these sort of dimensions and if If people want to learn more, They visit our website. We have blogs, um, other podcasts that we've done, and resources for this. It's lifeprocessprogram.com. Stanton, thank you for encouraging me to do this and, and allowing me to. And thank you, and Happy New Year.
1: Happy New Year. It's my pleasure entirely.